everything that the devil tried. 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 Everything. Everything. Everything that the devil. He tried to take my mind. He tried to take my mind. He tried to make me lose my life. He tried to make me lose my God, we're grateful because if it had not been for you, we would not be here. We opened our eyes this morning, God, because you gave us the strength to open our eyes. We were able to rise because you gave us strength and our limbs and the facilities of our body. We were able to get here, God, because you blessed us and brought us the way of safety and did not allow harm to come to us, Lord. We're grateful to again come into your presence because we know where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And as we come before you today, have your way, Lord. Let flesh be crucified, that you might be glorified, yes, that your Lord. people might be edified in the name of Jesus. Name For God in you is life. Yes, and that's what we seek, God, life, eternal life, God. We pray, O oh God, today that you will touch every person that have come seeking you, Lord. Bind the hand of the devil, God. Rebuke the hand of the enemy, Lord. God, let your anointing that resonates in this place even now. God, let there be an outpouring on your people. We need you, God, to take us to another level in you, Lord. God, we're faced with demonic forces, God. Evil spirits have come up against us, Lord. And we need to be fortified with your power. God, we can't make it on our own strength, God. We don't have enough to stand on, Lord. But we know, God, that your joy is our strength. Fill us up on today in the name of Jesus. Somebody have come this morning burdened down, God, with the issues of life, God. Somebody, God, is in the battle of their life. Somebody's, God, fighting in their mind and in their spirit, Lord. Where the devil have come in to war against them, Lord. But we thank you, God, because we know greater are you that's within us than he that is within this world, God. We know, God, that you are a deliverer, Lord. That you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you're no short of your promise, Lord. And you're able to deliver us, Lord. Touch us on today, Lord. We need your light never before. Fill us up with the Holy Ghost, God. And give us a refilling, Lord. But when we leave here today, Lord, we can leave with your anointing, Lord. That as we meet men and women, boys and girls, they might be converted to know who you are, Lord. In the mind the name of Jesus we pray. We thank you because you are a healer. You're the God that healeth these. 
and healing is in your wings. And you're able to touch our feeble bodies. You're able to save our troubled souls. And in the name of Jesus, bind every demon, Lord, every demonic force, Lord, God, that comes to keep us in the same place, Lord. We're willing, God, to surrender and say yes to your will, Lord. We're willing to turn our lives, God, over into your hands, Lord, because we come to the place, God, where we realize like never before, we need you, Jesus. More than anything we know, we need you, Jesus. While men are trying to find, God, solutions to this chaotic world, God, we're looking to you, Lord, because we know for every right desire, there is an answer. And Jesus, you're that answer. There's no need for us, God, to turn hither or thither, Lord. We need but to look for you, Lord, because you're the answer, God, for our troubled lives, Lord. Touch on the day, God. Break every yoke, oh God. Save on the day, God. Deliver on the day, God. Jesus, we need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We're crying out to you, Lord. We know that you're able to save our souls. We know that you're able, God, to heal our bodies, Jesus. We know that you're able, God, to turn our situations around. Jesus, no other help we know. No other help we know. No other help we know, God. You're able, Jesus, to deliver our children. You're able, Jesus, to save the unsaved husband. You're able, Jesus, to heal the cancer patient. Nothing too hard for you, Jesus. No other God we know. We know that you're able, Jesus. We know that you're able, Jesus. We say yes to your will, God. Yes to your way, Lord. Have your way, Jesus. And we'll thank you for it. And we'll give your name the praise. And we'll bless you, Lord. Yes, we thank you, Lord. And we bless your holy name. Come on, open your mouth. And give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah. You've heard the words since you were in Sunday school. You have heard these professors remind you of them both in words of warning as well as words of encouragement and maybe even a few testimonies. A counselor, a friend, a minister of music, whatever capacity you'll serve in on mission field or here at home, you'll use these two words. And they are trust. God. Two single syllable words that you have heard forever, but you will discover as time passes how difficult they are to obey. Trust God. Of course, I have no way of knowing what the future holds for you. You may lose your home and everything in a fire. You may lose your spouse to an early disease, detected but not cured. You may lose your dreams, your hopes. You may lose a relationship that you have cultivated over the years. All losses are painful. And you will be brought back over and over again 
to the words of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. I know, I know, you memorized them in vacation Bible school or when you were growing up at the knee of a godly mother and or father and your lips will move as I quote them, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. All your heart, all your ways. Trust. Trust. Now we have a problem with this because of several things. First of all, we are too blame self-sufficient. We have learned how to get ourselves out of jams rather than acknowledging the jam has very well been either directed or permitted by our sovereign God to teach us. And by not trusting Him, we short-circuit the test and go our own way, getting ourselves out of our own mess. We're too self-sufficient. Another reason we fail this test is because we're too quick to call on others. We have a lot of very capable friends. As life unfolds and you leave this school and you're involved in your church, your work of ministry, your realm of responsibility, you'll meet other people, many of them much smarter than you are, most of them richer than you are, better connected than you are, And some of them will become good friends. And they will become your crutch. They have connections. And when you're up against it, they'll get you through it. Another reason we don't trust is because we feel distant from the God of heaven. Don't feel too guilty about that. So did Job as godly as he was. And yet Job said, in the midst of all of the loss, though he slay me, I will trust in him. Though he take me off this earth in the process, I leave trusting him. I will trust him. The fourth reason I would name is that we have cultivated the bad habit of worry. Uh, Many of you are much better at worrying than you are at trusting. If you were to put together a worry list, it would outrun your prayer list. And you're worried right now about something. Most likely, it's related to something about your schoolwork some course, some class, some test, or maybe your finances. You don't have enough money. I'll give you a word of encouragement. You'll never have enough money. So you're worried now. You're getting good at it, so you can carry that with you when you graduate because you won't have enough money then. 
So you're worried about that. And you do not trust God. See how practical it is? And if you think you're going to outgrow the problem, take it from this old guy today, you won't ever outgrow it. It's like lust. You never outgrow lust. You just learn to fake it. I remember attending a Navigator conference when Lauren Sandy was president. We were at Glen Erie, and they had a returned missionary, I think an 87, 88-year-old gentleman, who um, uh, Lauren brought up to the platform, and he's a longtime Navigator, and Lauren said, tell me, Dr. So-and-so, when did you conquer lust? The old man said, well, Lauren, hasn't happened yet. You'll never conquer worry. It's part of the flesh. You want to, but the only way you will get through it so that you will learn from the test is to trust. To trust. To put the worry on hold, to set it aside, deliberately shoving it away, and saying, God, at this moment, I rest in you and you alone. If you're married, God, help my spouse and me to trust you, to lean on you, to wait on you, to listen to you, to endure the test with you. I put together a quick list of things that reveal how little we trust. When you choose to, to worry, you do not trust. When you try to fix what is impossible, you do not trust. When you hurry ahead and don't wait for the Lord to, to move and to change, you, you do not trust. When you lie awake, twisting and turning at night, you do not trust. When you doubt biblical principles and promises that are right here in the book you love and study, you do not trust. When you turn to others first for help, you do not trust. When you listen to human counsel and give a higher priority to that, and the principles you have just learned, you do not trust. When you manipulate and maneuver situations, you do not trust. When you step in and take charge without praying and being led by the Spirit of God, you do not trust. When you cling to others in order to feel secure and needed and loved, you do not trust. The list goes on and on. See how easy it is to live in the flesh? How easy it is to disobey trust in the Lord with all your heart? Wouldn't it be a great project over the Christmas season this year to think through Ways that you can begin to trust God 
regardless. Hopefully it'll be a project that you and a good friend or you and your mate can enter together. What is it we do that keep us from trusting God? And how can we break that habit and watch God break through in ways that we would never have expected? Cynthia and I have a longtime friend who was raised with four brothers in southwest Texas. They were raised on a very poor uh, ranch. They eked out a living. One of the brothers wound up getting into Baylor, going on to UCLA Law School, and earning his degree in law, and has since become a very fine attorney in the Southern California area. We've been friends since the mid-1970s. One of his four brothers stayed at the ranch and developed it, cultivated it. The other brothers moved away, as did our friend. And the one who stayed, along with his wife, really turned the ranch into something much more successful. Grew crops that worked, got cattle, bred them, sold them. Little by little, kind of got on their feet and finally became pretty much financially stable. Then the fires of 2011 across Texas swept through their area. And they came to that ranch. By now they knew they would lose all, all the cattle. They simply opened the gate and amazingly those animals know where to go. Usually know where to go to find shelter and safety. And they fled. Hundreds of them and they barely left, unable to get anything, much of anything in their pickup, and they drove away. Came back a number of days later when allowed to enter this territory, and uh, everything was melted. Everything. Even the metal roof on the shed, on the barn, had melted down and sort of peeled its way over and and what it landed on it kind of was the, that metal profile is everything is lost all possessions all pictures thankfully no lives strangely the cattle got back and were clustered around in a herd around an enormous oak tree and they were able to to get them back of course the fence had burned so that has to be rebuilt. And they said to one another, we realize at that moment our faith would either kick into action or we would move far away from the God we had loved and served. They chose the former. They determined they would rebuild. They're in the process right now. Living with a brother, putting house and home back together, having lost it all. And the Lord taught me through my shameful response. He'll win this battle. Trust him. Trust me. Trust God. Just to rest upon his promises. Just to know.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done. You have been a blessing. Lord, you said you would bless us and we would be a blessing. So we love on you today, thanking you for this time. Yes, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. Lord, hopefully we've been a blessing to somebody to help them make it through their midnight hour. When the towers have fallen, Lord, we thank you that maybe we've been a little light in the dark times. We love on you, God, and we bless everybody out there. We bless their children and their households. We bless them right now in Jesus' name. Bless them with health, prosperity. We bless them with kindness. Bless them with love, forgiveness. Lord, we bless you because you're good. There's none like you. We love on you today. Lord, these are your children. We're your servants. We love you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. God bless you. Am I hallucinating? Like, what's going on? And I look towards the left, and I see this even brighter light. And out of this brighter light comes out this man. And immediately I knew it was Jesus. And he walked towards me. And he sits on the chair right next to me. And I remember, I'll never forget, at that moment, I thought, oh my God, Jesus is sitting right next to me. And I've had so many questions that I've wanted to ask him, but I've completely forgotten them all. Because I'm just in shock at the fact that Jesus is sitting right next to me. So my full name is uh, Freddy Fausto Ramirez. And Freddy, where are you from? Uh, so I was born in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, uh, but raised in Miami. And what testimony will you be sharing with us today? Oh man, so today I think I'm going to be sharing the uh, just really the the testimonies about the supernatural encounters that I've been having practically my entire life. Mm. Um, and that's something that I've been kind of keeping to myself for seven to eight years. I have a group of people around me that do know about it, but I haven't really been sharing it just because it's based on that's very private and personal to me. Uh, but I've really been pushing, or I've really been feeling the Lord pushing me to share my testimony, begin to speak about it. So, mm. Why do you feel you've been feeling that that, that tug to, to share your testimony? Um. One of the things that I feel like God's been telling me is that, number one, there's other people who are going through the same thing that you are, that you're not the only one. Because I remember when I was going through it, I thought I was the only one. I didn't know where to turn to, who to go to, who to speak to, what books to read. Um, I really just didn't know. I didn't hear anything like this, so I just kind of stayed quiet. Um, but I also really feel like God wants to manifest himself 
in a much stronger and tangible way to his people. And one of the things that I felt the Lord tell me is just, Freddie, I want you to begin to share your story because what I'm doing with you, I want to I wanna begin to do to a whole generation. Wow. How old are you? I'm 33. Did you grow up in church? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. In fact, I always kind of jokingly say that I always hated the church. Mm. I've always hated the the Christianese, as I would call it. The whole, I remember I used to go to church and, you know, um, when, I, when I would walk into service with my mom and I would hear people say, hey, brother, and I just didn't understand that. I, I would just kind of be confused and be like, why are you calling me brother? Yeah. <laughs> so, not, no, not at all. Did your parents grow up in religion or in church at all? I, I would say my parents, more especially my mom, was probably a little more religious. But I would say kind of like it's more of a cultural thing, more of a Hispanic thing that you mm-hmm. just grow up Catholic. So you just pray the rosary and go to Catholic church and... And do the whole Catholic lifestyle, whatever that was at the time. I really was not involved. Hmm. So, so where does your story start? Uh, my story really begins when I was, I want to say, between maybe five years old around then. I was in the Dominican Republic, um, and my parents had gone out of town. And I'm staying with my grandma and my aunt. And I'm staying at their house, and one night, it's rainy and it's there's a heavy heavy thunderstorm and um the winds are just kind of like blowing the windows down it just almost feels like there's like a like a little tropical storm that was taking place and one of the things that i remember my aunt tells me to do is to go out and grab my dog and bring him inside and as i go out and i and i go look for my dog before i can even step into the backyard there's this huge flash of lightning that just strikes right in front of me. And it, it, it was the closest, I think it was the closest I've ever been to seeing lightning like that before. But what was peculiar about this was the fact that in this lightning, there was a shadow of a group of soldiers that were standing in front of me. Um, and when I saw this, I... I freaked out. I'm a young kid. I don't really know what to do. So I just start screaming and I run back inside and I go to my aunt and I explain to her what I just saw. And she closes up all the doors. She closes up all the the windows. And I run to my grandmother who's in the living room. And I explain to her what I just experienced. And I remember that when I looked into my grandmother's eyes, um, after I just finished explaining to her what just happened, uh, her eyes started to roll back, and she started whispering this name that I did not recognize. Now, I remember the name because I, w- I was so traumatized that I remembered all the details, and I remember that she was whispering the name Santa Barbara. Which later I found out is like one of the one of the saints in the Catholic Church, and she's whispering these things that I don't really understand. But I recognize that she's saying this name, and then she grabs my hand, and she opens the front door. And as soon as she opens the front door, there's another flash of lightning that hits, 
But this time, there's a black shadow of a woman that is standing right in front of her. And at this point, I'm so freaked out that I ran into my grandmother's bedroom and I just hide under under her bed. And I don't really want to talk to anyone at that point. Um, and that's that's really kind of where it begins. Um, and I really didn't know how to explain like what just happened like I just kept that to myself I told my grandma and my aunt but they didn't really have any words to explain for it either so I just I just kept it to myself because I didn't really know who to tell and I thought well okay well if I just forget about it then I would just disappear uh, but as I started growing older those kind of supernatural encounters or occurrences started becoming a little more common uh, where sometimes I would have demons that would visit me, and sometimes I would have angels that would come and visit me. I would have many nights as a ch- as a child where I would have sleep paralysis, where it was practically I would just go to sleep, wake up in the middle of the night, see something in front of me, and not have the ability to move. And the sad part about this was that this was just normal for me. This became my every night routine where there will be times where I just knew, okay, I'm about to go to sleep. I really wish I didn't have to go to sleep, but I'm about to experience another attack. Could you share some of those, uh, maybe one or two uh, encounters that you had as a little kid at night? Yeah, I remember that um, it would happen every so couple of months where there would be like a two-week period where it was almost like a TV show. Like Monday was the first episode. Tuesday was the next episode. It was just a continuation. And what would happen is that I would wake up in the middle of a field and I would see this tall man wearing a jacket uh, and his face was completely disfigured. And he would call my name and he would just laugh as he was just calling my name. And he would begin to chase me. And the entire dream was him practically just chasing me. I would run to a forest and he would find me there. Or I would run inside a house and try to hide. And he would still find me there. And I would wake up and think that the dream was over, but by this time I knew that it wasn't because then the sleep paralysis would take place. And my eyes would 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 open, but the rest of my body would not respond. And I would see different creatures either walking around my bed or even standing on my chest or just staring at me or trying to intimidate me. And I would do my best to just scream and scream. And there would be times, too, where my sister, you know, I have a younger sister who used to share a bedroom together. And in her separate bed, sometimes she would wake up screaming because she said that she would see creatures around my bed. And my parents would walk in and try to find and find something, thinking that maybe someone came in and there was nobody there. Um, and so... So yeah, how long did that that go for? That was like your entire childhood, essentially, or that was that was back and forth. That wasn't every single day, but that pr- practically lasted after that first encounter. 
Um, but there will be other times where it wasn't always dark. There were other times where it was also angelic as well, where um, I would have visions of Jesus. I would have visions of angels, and I really didn't understand what I was seeing. Um, I remember at one point when I was eight years old, I was already living in Miami, and I was, you know, just being a kid, I was playing my Game Boy at the time. That kind of dates me. Uh, but <laughs> I was playing my Game Boy, and I was facing the wall, laying on my bed, and I see a shadow of a man just coming and standing behind me. And I look up because I see the shadow. And I say, hey, Dad, what do you need? Thinking that that's my father standing behind me. And I keep looking, and I notice that he doesn't respond. And then all of a sudden, I see these angel wings that just open up and begin to spread. And at this point, I've kind of been used to seeing things like this. So I am nervous, I am scared, but I also fr freeze and just stay silent and calm. And I do my best just to stay calm at that moment. So I just kind of like look down and just kind of wait for it to leave. And I remember I looked back up again and it was gone. And so I go into my parents' bedroom to see if like, if it was truly them. Because when I turn around, nobody was there. And so I go into my parents' bedroom, and my mom is there, my dad is there, my sisters, they're all watching TV. They're all having a good time. And I look at my dad, I'm like, Dad, were you in my room just now? And he's looking at me like, no, I've been here this entire time. But I just kept it to myself because what am I, what do you do? Like, what do you, how do you respond at that moment? Um, and so I just continue to experience that. And I want to say that Although, as I started to get older, um, although those demonic dreams and attacks and appearances continued to happen, there was an increase of the angelic around me as well. Hmm. So how did your story develop from, from those encounters? Um, it's, it continued on to my teenage years. Uh, but it really started to take a much stronger hold when I first attended church. Um, I felt like for some time God was calling me. My mom would go to Catholic services, um, and sometimes she would take me. And, you know, to this day, I never even told her this, but there would be some times where I would just go in the back because I would just start crying. And I didn't know why I was crying. I mean, I was just, just tears were just streaming down my face. And I would feel this peace and I would feel this love. But I didn't really understand what was happening. And this was happening to me inside of a Catholic church. No one else was crying. No one else was singing. This was just, this were just moments that would overwhelm me. Um, but the first time I want to say that it really started to develop was when I started going to a Christian church. I remember I went to my one of my very first services, and as soon as I walked in, they were in the middle of worship, and again, the tears began to fall down my face. And mind you, my friends at the time used to call me the robot because I had no emotions whatsoever. Like, I remember my grandma had died previously before, and I just didn't cry because I just didn't have any emotions in me. But for some reason, I would cry 
every time I felt what I know now is the presence of God. And I'll never forget, I felt such peace and such love that I just ended up staying the entire service. I didn't understand what the pastor was speaking, but I just knew that I was feeling this peace. And then something interesting happened. Towards the end of the service, uh, the pastor, or the youth pastor at the time, because it was a youth service, he makes this call, and he says, hey, uh, there's a prophetic word that one of our prophets released over the youth. So we're going to play the audio, and I just want you guys to come to the front and receive it. And so I see everybody just standing up and just going to the front. And mind you, I'm new, never been to church before. Uh, but I just get up just because I see everybody else, and I'm just following the crowd at this point. And I remember at this point that I get up, I'm standing near the front, and they start playing this audio of this prophetic word. And there's this there's this voice of a man saying something in the, in the, in the likes of that God is lifting up a new generation to really impact his people. And he's putting a ball of fire inside of your hands to minister to the next generation. And so I remember that as this was being said, I closed my eyes and I lifted my hands because I see everybody else doing it. And as I'm hearing those words, and God is putting a ball of fire on your hand, my eyes open, but even though I had them closed, like my, my, my physical eyes are closed, but somehow I'm seen. And, I, and I'm seeing myself opening my eyes, and I look into my hands, and I see a ball of fire on my hand. And I immediately open my eyes, and I start shaking it out because I'm thinking that my hand caught on fire somehow. And when I open my eyes, I see there's no fire. There's no, there's no one sparking anything on my hand. No one's playing a prank on me. What just happened to me? And I kid you not, I I was just flabbergasted for the entire length of the service. I remember walking out just in complete shock, trying to explain what just happened. I couldn't really explain anything to me. I, I couldn't really explain what was happening at that time. All I knew was that whatever this God was, whatever it is that he was doing, he was calling me. And I felt his love, and I felt his peace, and I wanted more. I really, I just, I remember at the time, I just, I felt such immense love that I've never felt before. And I just really, really wanted more. And I went to every service. I went to every prayer service. Anytime the church was open, I was there just because I wanted to experience this peace and this love that was happening. And so I remember even back in high school, I remember that they used to have morning prayers. And I would go. I didn't know how to pray. I really didn't know what to expect. But I just knew that at any chance that I had to continue to experience God, I wanted it. And so that's when it really, I think, it started taking a turn to the next level. Because I remember 
one morning I got up. It was five a.m. in the in the in the morning, and I put my backpack together and I go to the church and I'm walking inside the temple. I'm walking inside the sanctuary and it's dark and there's people praying in the front. And I notice that everyone's like in the front area and I'm in the back. So I'm walking towards the front. And as I'm walking towards the front, I see out of nowhere this like flash of lightning appear. Like just quick flash of lightning in the middle of darkness. And I see this very tall man wearing a white robe. He's so tall that I can only see up to his shoulder blade right here. And he's walking so fast towards me that I think he's about to knock me over. He just doesn't see me. And as he's approaching me, I'm getting ready to just jump out of the way because he's walking so fast. But before I can even jump, he walks right through me. And I turn around and I see him just disappear. And again, I'm in this moment of like, what just happened to me? And I remember I just, I go to the morning prayer session where they're having and I just sit at the front. And at this point, I'm not even praying. I don't join in the circle. I don't, I'm really not even interested in prayer. I'm just trying to process what just happened to me. And after prayer is over, I remember that I recognized one of the leaders that I had met at the time. And I asked I asked him, listen, I, I need to talk to you. I've been having all of these experiences, and I just had this that just happened to me. Can you explain to me what just happened? And I remember he gets so excited. He's just like, oh, my God, Freddie, like, that was Jesus. And I'm like, who? Like, Jesus? Like, like God, like the guy that went to the cross, like he was here? Like, yeah, that was Jesus. He just, he just, he's grabbing a hold of you. He's calling you. And I'm just like, what does he want? <laughs> like, okay. At this point, I'm, I'm accepting it. But I'm wondering, like, why? Like, why me? Like, I don't, I just started going to church. Don't really understand what's going on. Don't really understand the Bible yet. All I know is that Jesus is after me. With your family, you obviously had some um, interactions early on. Have you been able to figure out what was happening with them and, and with all of these experiences that you were having in, in the home, have you been able to put language to it for them? Have you had that conversation with them? And very recently, I just started, and when I say recently, I want to say maybe within the last two, three years, is when I've kind of been opening up and telling them, like, hey, this is what happened to me when I was younger. And I had a conversation, I want to say this year, with my sister, because there would be moments where she would wake up uh, at night screaming because she would see something dark or she would see something light. Um, and there was no, you know, you would think, well, maybe we would have family members who are involved in witchcraft or santeria, which is popular in the Hispanic world. But that we know of, there wasn't 
necessarily any of that connection to our family that we are aware of. Could it have been? Possibly, but not that we know of. So it it, it felt random. It felt like there's really no reason for it. But I think as I started growing older and I started maturing in my relationship with God and just kind of gaining understanding, I feel like I started to understand that this was just really God calling me. God had placed a call in my life uh, to be able to experience Him and to teach others to experience Him as well. But also when you're called by God, the devil also wants to distract you and destroy you as well. He wants to do the very opposite. And so that's why I believe that today there's many people who are mediums and they're psychics and they have a gift to see. They have a gift to be able to hear in the spirit realm. But they're prophets who the devil has confused and turned around so that he can use them for his purposes instead of the original intent which is to be used by God. So as you begin to go to church and you started to realize that God had this call upon your life and he was coming yeah. after you, how how did that transition from, okay, just these random experiences to now, okay, I'm going to intentionally seek after God? What was that transition like or what did it look like afterwards now walking with God? It was really difficult, I'll be honest with you. Because there wasn't really anyone that I could go to at the time. I didn't know who to go to. Um, I didn't know if there was a number to call or a book to read. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you figure out what is happening? All that I knew was happening this was that it was beginning to intensify. And as I started going to church, these experiences started intensifying. Now the good thing was that it, the good thing started to intensify. And the demonic started to become less and less. Um, so I started to experience more of God. I started to see more angels. Um, I remember I would, you know, I, I was just recently taught how to pray. And so I would do what we were always taught to do is lock ourselves in a room and put some worship on. And I would do that and I would see angels appear. And there were moments that my mom could tell you that I would be in prayer and I would run out of my room screaming. Because can you, can you describe yes. what you would see, you know, an angel? Like, what did that look like? So there, there were moments where I would just be in prayer and I had my eyes closed and I was just singing, you know, the song that I was that was on, that I had put on. And <laughs> I remember I would open my eyes. And I would see like these white lights, light beams. It's almost like if they're like human form, but they're white lights just floating around my room. And I would even hear them sometimes sing along with me, like audibly hear them, not like in my mind. I would audibly hear them sing along with me. And I didn't know how to react to that. So I would just, the first thing I did was not like, oh, holy, holy, holy. The first thing I did was just like grab the door, open it, and run and just get the heck out of there. Um, and my mom would just ask me like, are you okay? What's going on? And it was just like, mom, something's in my room. I don't know what it is. And my mom at that point was just like, Freddie, I think you're experiencing angels. And I was just like, is that what that is? Um, 
and that continued to increase as I started going to church and learning more and eventually I started getting involved and I started getting involved in leadership and I started opening up because they started to increase and I had a very difficult moment because I would open up to some leaders and some leaders would tell me, well, maybe you're demon-possessed. And I believed it. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I am. I guess I do have demons inside of me. Maybe this is why I'm seeing this. Well, God, if these are demons, please, like, by all means, remove remove them from my life. Like, free me from this. But he wouldn't. And I really wanted to be fine. I wanted to be normal. I wanted to please the leaders. And so I just stopped praying. Because I just came to a point where it's just like, well, if they won't stop coming to the times where I come in prayer, then I'll stop giving them the opportunity to come and see me. So I just, for a moment, I just stopped praying. And I just read my Bible a little bit, kind of still a little scared if something was going to pop out. And just kind of waiting for God to free me until one day I remember that I was in church. And by this time, I already had felt, I didn't know the voice of God yet fully. Like God was starting to speak to me, but I wasn't able to really recognize it yet as the voice of God. But at the time, I remember I kept on hearing, don't ignore me. This is me. I'm looking for you. Don't shut me out. But I kept doing the opposite. I kept shutting him out. I kept closing the door. I kept ignoring him because I thought this was demonic. And I remember one time I was in church, and I kept on hearing the voice get louder and louder and louder until I just started hearing this voice scream at me, Do not ignore me. Do not ignore me. And I ran out of the service because I just started crying at that moment instantly. People were looking at me. By that time, I was already a leader, so I felt so embarrassed. So I ran out. I remember the ushers were like, wait, are you okay? And I just, I didn't want to see anybody. And thankfully at that time, there was someone, there was a leader, um, that was able to guide me, and she flowed very strongly in the prophetic, and I just ran up to her, and I'm like, could you please pray for me? <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on with me, and she saw me crying, she's like, Freddie, what's, what's happening? Why are you crying like this? And I just looked at her, I'm like, I don't know, and she just paused for a moment, and she said, Freddie, you're ignoring God. Oh my God. That was God speaking to me. That voice that I thought maybe was a demon was actually God speaking to me. And that changed my life at that point. That changed my approach. At that point, I began to embrace it. I knew, okay, this is God. He wants to show himself to me. Well, this is what I want. And I remember I made a prayer at that point. which was just like, God, like, if I'm going to give you my life and this is what you want from me, I embrace it and I want it. Like, I want to be able to experience you. I want to feel you tangibly. Like, however close you want to be, I'm all in, God. So how did that uh, move forward? Did, did God begin to – what did he begin to show you afterwards? 
I think the moment that I accepted that this was God, uh, it just continued to get stronger. But this time, uh, my relationship with God was growing. I was embracing the encounters that I was having. And it's not that this was all my focus was just for me to just to experience something. But it was just the idea that God was reaching out to me and that he loved me and that he wanted to develop a strong relationship with me. Um, and I remember there came a point where my nightmares stopped because God, I started to embrace the voice of God. And God began to tell me, before you go to sleep, command any demonic spirit that is haunting you to stop, rebuke it, and put my angels to watch over you. I tell you, I did that one time. And since that day, I've never had another nightmare. I've never had another sleep paralysis or any demonic attack at night ever again since I made that one prayer. After that, it just started to increase in the angelic. And um, I think one of my most beautiful moments immediately after that was another morning prayer session that I had. This was in my in, in my home. And I got up to pray. And as I was praying, I remember that I opened my eyes for a moment. I was sitting in a chair. And the whole room started changing. It, it's... It's a really weird way to try to describe this, but the whole room began to change. It was almost like slowly, like as I'm looking at you right now, slowly everything that was around me was beginning to change, even the, the ground under my feet. And I saw this beautiful light coming in, and I was now in this forest, and it continued to change and change and change and change. And it reached to a certain point where I could still see, for the sake of explanation, I could still see the earth. Like, I could still see the rest of my living room. Um, but I was in this forest with this beautiful light. And I was looking into my room. I was looking into the living room that I was in and realizing, like, wait, where am I right now? Like, Am I in heaven? Am I hallucinating? Like, what's going on? And I look towards the left, and I see this even brighter light. And out of this brighter light comes out this man. And immediately I knew it was Jesus. And he walked towards me. And he sits on the chair right next to me. And I remember, I'll never forget, at that moment, I thought, oh my God, Jesus is sitting right next to me. And I've had so many questions that I've wanted to ask him, but I've completely forgotten them all because I'm just in shock at the fact that Jesus is sitting right next to me. And I just look at him, and I just stare with him, and I'm like, I, I, I wish I knew what to say. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. What about him? What about his presence? How did you know this is Jesus? It was an instant knowing. It was just like this instant knowing that there was like there was no doubt. 
that this was Jesus. Like, like it was, like I was more assured that this was Jesus than who I am. Was it because of, of what he looked like, or was it something, an emotion he stirred in you? It, it it was kind of a little bit of everything. It was it, it was just the presence that he carried. The best way that I can describe it was just this immense majesty. Like just looking at him made me want to worship him. It, it was like it was just like my body's or my soul's or my. Just, just my reaction. I just wanted to worship him immediately. I just felt this majesty about him, but I also felt this strong love and friendship at the same time. It's not like when you meet a president where you're just like you're you're in reverence to him, and but you kind of, you kind of hold back because you want to be respectful. It was almost like yes, there's the King of Kings. And I want to worship. I want to be reverent to him. But like, he's so loving and so friendly, and he's so down to earth. Like, you could just feel like you could just talk to him. And he, I, I was nervous at the moment, but he put me at ease very quickly. And he just sat me down, and he just smiled at me, and that smile spoke volumes. That words could never describe. Like that smile put me at such ease and calmness. And we had to me what it felt like an hour long conversation. And I remember Jesus just kind of stood there. He's just like, you have questions? Ask me. Okay. And now this is this is not a, a dream. This this is, is not no. I am awake. I, this is not me like sleeping. Yeah. This is I am awake. I'm seeing this as I am seeing you. This is not a vision where I had or my imagination. Right. This this is real. And and before you even move on to the to the conversation, I would love for you to share a little bit more about that. What what did he look like? Could you share how like his what he looked like? What I can't describe that he he was tall. He was definitely definitely tall, um, and he was definitely not white skinned, like light skinned, kind of how like the many people kind of portray him to be. I did see him have a little bit of long hair, and I saw beard. Uh, but his there's there's a couple features that I feel like he allowed me to see. And others that were blurry in in this vision, but one thing that I did see that I focused so much on was his eyes. He had the most beautiful blue eyes that I have ever seen in my life. But it's not the fact that it was just blue. It's like when I looked into his eyes, I could see the ocean. It's the weirdest thing. It's just like I there was so there was so much depthness into his eyes that you could literally stare into his eyes and see the ocean see like the deepness unlimited deepness of god and it was alive like like his eyes were alive like they would share and tell a story wow 
what did that conversation, I mean, whatever you can share, right, about that conversation, what did you ask? What did he tell you? How did that go? Yeah, so I began to ask him. I was just like, the first thing was just like, God, like, thank you so much for for coming and talking with me, but what do you want? <laughs> like, Like, why did you choose me? And he began to explain to me a lot of things that I was beginning to experience, why I experienced a lot of things that I experienced since I was a child, and it's because he had chosen me. He wanted me to serve in ministry. Mind you, I never wanted to be in ministry. I never liked church. I never asked to be part of a church. I remember the first time I came to God and I felt his presence in a service, I told God, God, okay. I'll give my life to you, but just don't ever make me a minister. Don't make me a pastor. I don't want any of that. But he began to explain to me that this is what he had called me to do. And so I started asking him more specific details of like, well, what does that look like? What is it that you want me to do? And he started he started explaining to me things that I did not understand. I remembered and I wrote it down afterwards. Uh, but I did not understand. There were certain words and terminology that he was using at that time that were brand new to me. And I remember even afterwards when I would be around other Christians, they would say certain Christian words. And I'd be like, wait, 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 wait. What, what did you just say? Can you repeat that again? Like, yeah, yeah, th- this, this is what this means. And it's just like, what does that mean? Because I've heard that before. And I didn't tell him where I heard it before. Uh, so I began to really ask him about, like, if you have this call for me, what is that call? What is it that you want me to do? What, what, what do you want me to do now? But the main thing that I, I, I'm open to share now is just I remember telling him, God, if I'm going to really do this for you, only thing I ask is that you don't take this away from me. Like, I'll continue to do this if if we can keep this. I, I never want to come to a point where I don't experience you like this in any way because there's, I mean, there's nothing like it. Like, it's one thing when you go to church and you pray and you worship and it's beautiful, but there's nothing like it. There's nothing like experiencing God for yourself on a personal level. So I remember after the conversation, um, he just got up and said, well, I have to go. And I was like, why? All right, what time is it, man? <laughs> it's like, where are you going? <laughs> like, why? Why can't you stay? And I remembered. Well, b- before you move on from there, really quick, what was his response to you saying, I want to continue to experience this? He laughed, but it was it was a it wasn't like a laughter of like oh you're kidding me like yeah right you're never gonna get this it was more of like I'm really happy that you asked me this I'm really he was really pleased with that request um and and after after that after he got up I asked him where it was that he was going and. He just told me I have to go, but I told him, like, will we continue this? <laughs> will, will we continue to have moments like this? And he told me, I'm going to teach you how. And I didn't, at the moment, 
had no idea what he meant, but I just trusted him. There was just something about him that I'm just like, okay. Jesus said that we're going to continue this. We're going to continue this. And for the most beautiful thing happened to it was really interesting. When he got up and he began to walk away, the entire scenery began to change back wow. into where I was again. So as he was walking away and leaving, like it was like heaven was starting to fade away. And when he walked into a light, then it just closed up and it became my living room again. And that just stirred a fire in me. I remember I, I called my dad. And I'm like, Dad, you'll never guess who I just spoke to. <laughs> I woke him up. <laughs> like, I just spoke with Jesus. And it was just like, oh, that's great. So I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you don't understand. Like, like, I had a whole conversation with Jesus physically. Like, I sat with him. I saw him. And he just began to ask me about it. And we had a great time. But something began to stir even more after that encounter. At that time, I was already a leader. And I was discipling others. And I had a strong, strong desire for prayer. I, I just grew a passion for prayer. But not just praying just to pray. Like, for me, prayer changed. Like, after my experiences, my definition, my perspective of prayer became completely different. I no longer saw prayer as like, Oh, I'm just talking to God. Oh, how I used to see it, if I could be honest with you. I'm just talking to thin air. I, I'm just talking, hoping that I get some sort of response or answer. Now, my perspective was, man, when I get into the presence of God, it's literal heaven on earth. It, it, I, I have the opportunity to create that atmosphere for God to manifest himself and draw close to me. So with the people that I began to lead at the time, I remember I started having vigils, or what we used to call vigils, were practically all-night prayer meetings. And we were, we were young teenagers in our 18s, 19, you know, early 20s, and we would have Friday night service, and then after Friday night service, go into somebody's room, and there would be like 16 of us that would pray from like midnight all the way to 6 a.m. in the morning almost every single night. But what deeply impacted me about those meetings and about those, those vigils that we were having is that they also began to experience the same thing that I started to experience. In those meetings, we had so many manifestations. There were angels or a pain, but they began to see it too. These were people that have never seen anything. Many of them were even new to the faith. And they started experiencing encounters as well. Till this day... They, there are many of them who are pastors, who are who live in different countries, and still continue to experience encounters today. 
because of those prayer vigils that we've had before in the past. Freddie, what is what is God teaching you now, today? What is He calling you to do um, for these next next couple of moments, next couple of years? What what is the mission? To be honest with you, that was a fight because just early this year, I heard God tell me, "I want you to begin to share your story," and I didn't want to. Number one, because it was very private. It was very personal to me. I was okay with sharing it with people that I knew, and they started experiencing this as well. So I was really happy about that. But I didn't really want to come out publicly with these stories. Number one, because it was private. But secondly, also because there's just some really crazy people out there. And you also, when you begin to share your story like this, you're, you open yourself up for criticism you open yourself up for people saying comments or saying some really rude, nasty things about you. And I just, I didn't need to go. I just didn't feel the need to go through that. Like, I, like I'm fine with my experiences on my own. <laughs> you know, I didn't feel like I needed to share. But God started telling me, Freddie, I want you to begin to share your story. Because the same way that I encountered you, I want to encounter others. And the Lord really started teaching me that that is the mission that he's placed in my life, is to really lead people to encounter God. And it's not, it's not about coming to a meeting or receiving prayers so that you can start seeing angels or so that you can start receiving gold dust and all these things. But it's about drawing close to Jesus. That's what this really is all about. Because I believe that God really does want to bring heaven on earth. But we can't have heaven on earth if we don't experience him like if we are in heaven. Um, And so it's really now just beginning to share my story through my testimony. I'm preparing to write a book. and, And I really want to lead others into encounter. And to be honest with you, I can't do it. I don't have any magic powers to open up the heavens or to do or replicate any of the experiences that I've had. But I do it knowing that this is the mission that he's called me to do it. And if he's called me to do it, he's going to do it. Mm. To anybody that's watching right now and is hearing your testimony, hearing your encounters with Jesus, with heavenly uh presence and they want to encounter that what what can you say to that person watching man if you're watching and you just you're hungry for god's presence the first thing i want to encourage you is just to really continue to seek him like ask god to give you a passion for him the thing is we first have to understand is that we can't be hungry for god hunger is a gift from God. And those encounters are a gift from God. We ourselves don't have the ability in our human form and our human flesh to be able to seek God the way that he wants us to. We need to cry out to him and ask God, expose me. Put that hunger in me. And the next thing that I would say is just find people that have had those encounters because it's tangible. It spreads. 
This is not a private matter. This is not something that Jesus wants to keep to himself. I I so strongly believe this because this is something that God has spoken to me, and I believe this is my mission in life. I believe that we are coming to the day where every believer is going to come to the point where they will experience God in a tangible way. It may not look like the way that I experience God, but you will have an experience with God if you so desire it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, what a testimony. And I am just crazy enough to believe every word he said. When he said the eyes were blue, I was like, hold up, wait a minute, my partner, wait a minute. And then he explained. It wasn't so much the eyes as he could see the ocean, the blue ocean. Yeah, he he, he straightened it out. And there were several things he said that I can totally agree with and testify to as well. Yeah, yeah. He had a sit down. Hallelujah. He had a sit down with the Savior of the world, the Son of the true and living God, Jesus Christ. Yes, he did. And so I thank God for his testimony. And uh, the end of that, he was sharing that this is what God want him to do. He wanted me to tell this because he want to have a sit down with many of us and see, like he said in prayer, you know, he prayed, but it was like he was just praying in the air, you know, but now he know beyond a shadow of a doubt. He's not just praying in the air. He's actually talking to God. I learned that. I, I'm not just talking in the air. No, I am actually talking to a real live God that have all power, the same God that made the heavens and the earth, the same God that said uh, in the beginning, you know, he said, he, he, let light appear, in other words, and, and light showed up. And so I believe this man's testimony, <clears throat> excuse me, because I've had a lot of sit-downs, I've had a lot of encounters is what they call it. But all it is is that a lot of times we are not sure. We want to be sure. And somewhere in there we got some things going on that we need more. And God will come so that you can experience him for yourself. You're not going on what the preacher told you. You're not going on what mama, grandmama, granddaddy told you, uh, the church said, what you think is in the Bible. God comes to make his calling and election sure with you so that your calling and election can be sure. Yeah, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Pastor David, God bless you this morning. And yes, many have had those experiences where they wake up and they can't move. They can't move a finger. They, they, they can't do nothing but just they, they, they spellbound, it appears. I had an experience um, when I lived in Winter Garden, Winter Park, Winter Park. And I woke up to something pulling both my feet. It was pulling me down. And I didn't know what it was at first. And listen to this. At first, I said, Mama. And it come to me, Mama. 
Jesus, and I said Jesus out loud and quick. It loosed me real quick and went away. Not too long after that, this evangelist friend, she had encouraged me to move in with her husband, and I didn't know she was married to the man at the time because she was married to another man and living in the house with him. But she would come over to this man's house and told me they both were evangelists and yada, yada, yada. And come to find out she married the two men at one time, and I was the scapegoat, but I didn't know it. I, you know, I was the reason they would use for her coming over to his house. And so they were going to try to continue to use me without me knowing what was going on. But see, God, it's not long before God exposed you. Uh, ooh, he will expose that devil so you'll know what's going on so you can get it straight. So I told her I wanted to go shopping. She said, well, we'll take you shopping, um, me and him. We, we'll, we'll go shopping with you. I said, okay. So she came over, and we got in his car. And I sat in the back. She sat in the front with him because he was her friend. And so we was going shopping, and we passed by this tree. In Florida, they have palm trees with huge dates on them. Yeah, huge dates on them. And so I said, oh, look at them dates. Oh, they ripe, too. She said, well, on the way back here, get up and get you some dates. I said, okay. We went on shopping and everything. On the way back, up in the tree, getting the dates down. And the Lord began to speak to me, and the Lord began to show me and let me know they are using you as their scapegoat. They are telling people that... uh, they come, they, she comes over to see you, and you just happen to live with him. You're his roommate. Right then and there, I said, hey, I called her name. I said, let me tell you something. Don't you ever do this again. And I went on to explain. She was in shock. Because, see, sometimes people know you have the gift. And sometimes God will use your mouth to speak directly into things. And then sometimes he don't use that with people. It's like he go in a roundabout way. And if they believe, they receive. If they don't, they don't get it. So she has seen me in action before. She had seen God use me to the fullest. She saw it before. But I don't see everything because I'm not God. Only his eyes are in every place. He's the one beholding the evil and the good. I don't read people. I give you a word from the Lord, whatever he says. So when I went on up in the business, God used my mouth to go on up in her business and everything. She was floored. And so she wanted to cry and tell me that some evangelist had told her, it was all right for her to marry him while she was married and living in the house with that other man. And yada, yada, yada. I told her, I'm not every evangelist. I'm not like other evangelists. Be. I know what the word of God said, and that's not God, and that's not his word. Don't you ever try that again. But see, it was pulling me down. Had I not called on the name of Jesus, they would have got me. Ruined my reputation, ruined my name, everything. But when God come and warn, you got to pay attention. Yeah, I'm getting the dates. 
and he's seeking. Why the man up in the tree getting the dates for me? Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. God straightened it out. And from that day to this one, I ain't had no more problems. Yeah, because people come uh, many ways, you know, to try to trick and, and this and that. But God got it. You just stay with God, and you're going to be all right. But I've had that experience. I, I can't remember having an experience where I got still, you know, still and couldn't move. I never experienced that. I don't think I have. But I know people who have and share it with me. And uh, Pastor David, I thank God for you this morning. And I'm, I promised a request to you. And uh, I'm going to play this request for you this morning. And uh, we thank God. Hallelujah. You are my hiding place 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's our hiding place. And uh, we thank God for that this morning. His name is even a name where the righteous can run in and be saved. And if we will just remember these things and remember him, no matter what we're going through, no matter what come our way, we can always have a sit down with him. Yeah. And tell him all about it. But we have to make him become alive. It, it can't be that we just think we just putting words out in the atmosphere, you know. But we're talking to a true and living God that have all power. Yeah, he's real. We have to make him come alive. His word is real. Make his word come alive for you. When I read the word, I believe just what it says. Yeah, I believe exactly what the word of God says. Sometimes, you know, you may struggle even with some things. I've been there and done that. You know, Lord, but I don't care what I say to him, his word won't change. So what I have to ask him to do is to strengthen me. And Lord, give me the unction even to live your word, to live according to what is written. Yeah. Whatever you strengthen me, that I will obey whatever you speak. Mm -hmm. Because many times we can have a sit down. Anytime we get ready, you can have a sit down with him. Look. I prayed, and when I prayed, my head was bowed down. I could not see what was before me. But I could feel the presence in front of me, and I knew it was him looking down. And I never want to look in his face. I, I always want to stay at his feet. Matter of fact, to his toes. Because I, 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 I've often been afraid if I look at the feet and the ankle, I'm going to want to look at the legs and go on up the thigh and eventually look at me. No, 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 I want to stay humble. And even in seeking his face, I'm seeking his face to see me, not that I see him. Because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's real this morning. Anybody else really know that God is really real? Because if we know that he is really real, we're going to have many sit downs. Anything come our way that we don't agree with, or we believe that it's evil, it's not right, we're going to call on the name of Jesus. I've I've been driving before, was driving, and almost had a bad accident. I said, Jesus, and escaped the, the accident. You hear me? When I'm driving, I, there are times when I'm going around a curve too fast. Y'all got to hear me. And I could feel when the car, the steering wheel changed. I know it's no longer me guiding it. I know it's him. I'm telling you the absolute truth. He comes that we might have life and have it more abundantly. But how are you living abundant life and you don't really believe he's real? You believe you got to do some things to help him. No, you don't. Listen, he's the one with all power. Now, he wake you up in the morning. Without him, you can't do nothing. He bless you to prepare yourself some breakfast. <laughs> 
He bless you to shower, to change clothes, to wash your hair. He bless you to get all these things done so it appears that we are operating on our own, but we're not. But he know that you can do these things, so he bless you and allow you to get them done. But there are some things we cannot do, and he cannot allow us to do them. So he himself does it for us. He does it for us over and over and over again. Yeah. So when we get used to that, we'll do stuff like this. Lord, what should I wear today? And and it'll just come to you just as plain as day. What you have in your closet or what you have that you can put together. And that particular day, you're going to get a lot of compliments most times on that outfit. Why? You didn't put it together. He did. <laughs> and it appeals to people's eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm asking, even when I lived in government housing in the project, I would ask him, I said, Lord, what to wear today? I don't even know what to wear. And he would show me the closet, get that and get this and get that shoe. And I, I, I maybe would even fix my hair better because, you know, I love that bond. That's <laughs> an easy fix. And still, but everybody want to pick at it. But don't pick at that bond. It's quick. But, if you know, you just have to take more time to, to make the bun properly, and I don't. I just slide my band on it, slide it up, and go. But if you took more time with, you know, preparing the bun, it would be much neater, nicer, prettier. But he put everything together, showed me what to put together. And I can remember going in a family dollar store. And the lady say, ma'am, and I turned. She said, that is such a nice outfit. I said, thank you. She said, and those colors just accent your skin. I said, thank you so much. And guess what? I said, thank you, Jesus, because he put the outfit together. You can ask him things. He Look, I misplaced my keys. Well, now he got me where I put those keys back in the same place every time. As soon as I come in the kitchen, you put the keys right here. Don't take them in a bedroom or office or bathroom. Put those keys right here. I've lost my keys, and I said, Lord, where are the keys? In a minute, it'll come to me. Look on the chest in your bedroom. Just a few weeks ago, I was at the flea market. I didn't know where the keys or the phone was. And I had the Bluetooth in my ear, and I had to go to the ladies' room. So I go to the powder room, and when I'm going in, it say, uh, Bluetooth off. I say, oh, it's right there. It's, it's right at that, at, at that booth that I got, right at the stall. When I come out, it say, Bluetooth back on. I looked, I looked, I looked. When I got back to the booth that I had, I couldn't find it. I sat there and I prayed. I still couldn't find it. I got up and went to my truck. And when I went to my truck, I said, Lord, show me where these keys are. I said, Lord, you show me where the keys are. Would you please show me where the keys are? 
And when I, I got back, I sat in the chair at my booth, and it just come to me. I know it was him speaking in the spirit, look under the tablecloth. When I looked under the tablecloth, there was the phone and the keys together, but I remember putting the keys up front on that table and laying the phone on the back table, on the right, on the left side, but they both were together. You can't tell me that wasn't God. Call me crazy, anything you want, but you cannot tell me that wasn't God because I knew what took place. When I needed to pay a truck note, listen. I didn't talk to him like he was in the, I'm, I'm just talking to air. I said, Lord, I need the, the truck payment. He didn't move that month. It was coming into the next month. I said, Lord, uh, would you give me the money for the uh, truck payment? I said, because it's coming into the second month. They're going to be looking for their money. I said, and Lord, I need the money to go ahead and pay them. In a few days, it showed up. <laughs> Look. I need a new computer because this one is used. I told the Lord about it and let it go. I didn't keep on, Lord. I need a new computer. God. His ears are not deaf. I'm telling you the hey, glory. His ears are not deaf and his arms are not too short to reach down, to fix any situation we need, to give us anything we need. But it's us. When we pray, do we really believe it and let go? Or do we pray and hold on to it? Because if you're holding on to it, there's nothing he can do with it because you got it. If he's going to fix it, you must let it go. And see, we just keep striking at a little straw, just a little bit here and just a, a little bit. You keep with your little bit, look, you're not going to get nothing. Because even a little, he don't need your help. He needs you to completely let go and completely trust him. Yeah. I didn't know I was going to be able to use this knee like this. I thought, eventually, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to have to go on over there and let him cut it and give me a new knee. No, you ain't got to get no new knee. He's a healer. He heals all manner of sickness and disease. He told you what to do, and you'll begin to do it and go back to the same thing. I begin to lose the weight. See the weight coming off. And then my flesh, that greedy flesh, will tell me, hey, why don't you bake a pineapple upside down cake? Nobody's here but me. Who's going to help me eat the pineapple upside I could have a small, small serving and be done. But no, I got the whole cake. And within a week or so, I'm going to eat that whole cake. The weight is coming back. On Monday, I had to start over again. <laughs> but this time, I got to go all the way. I must get the weight up. As soon as, because look, when the weight is coming out, I see three pounds gone to meet the abdata. Five pounds gone to meet the abdata. I got 20 pounds off the meet the abdata. I've lost 80 pounds before, almost 100 pounds. I know I can do it. And then the devil tell me what other people say. Well, in your older years, it's going to be real hard. No, it's not. Stop bending your elbow and letting your mouth fly open with the wrong things. Stop making food your God, Barbara, and the weight will come off. 
I've noticed a difference today. From Monday to today, I noticed a difference in myself. Erica, I had her to make me stew peas. I mean, it's like she made me a couple of gallons of it. And I just want to eat stew peas. Stew peas. Ah, stop. Yeah, every day from Sunday to yesterday, I'm trying to stew peas. If I don't have it with rice, one morning, one one afternoon, brother, I had it with a croissant. A croissant. I'm like, you need to stop. So yesterday, what I had for breakfast was very small. I had a breakfast sandwich and a, a drink. No sugar. Came back for lunch, had a small helping of stew peas and rice. And water, that was it. And before 6 o'clock, I said, you can have a, a turkey, a open-faced turkey sandwich on one slice of pumpernickel. Lots of water. When I tell you, in my sleeping, water, passing water all night. Because weight comes out, fat comes out in water. I learned that, too. I want some water, water, water passes. You keep drinking lots of water, but you're going to see pounds and inches come out. Not just inches, but pounds and inches. But you got to stay focused, and that's what I got to do. So I'm getting some things to put on the refrigerator. Yeah. Some things to put on the pantry door to remind me. Because sometimes I get busy and I forget because, you know, I'm used to eating anyway, whatever I wanted. So sometimes I'm busy and I just go pick up whatever I want. So now I got to put some things up to help me remember, hey, you can't have that. Hey, don't buy that no more. Buy this. Because I can eat. I can even have stuffing for chicken. But I have to make it a lighter stuffing. I can't put all the butter and all of this stuff in it. You know? A lot of things I can use chicken broth instead of oil. And then when I'm cooking, no uh, vegetable oil. I got to use olive oil. I just tell y'all my, my, my stuff I go through. I'm just telling you I'm human like anybody else. Now, this is a thorn in my side, that overweight. <laughs> well, the overeating is a thorn in my side. And this is what I battle with because I love food. And I can cook food. And I can bake. And I eat the good of the lamb. Look at him coming up hungry. You just want some cake, you Louie, you. <laughs> yeah. But God is faithful. And we back to this guy's testimony. I know this probably have happened to either you or maybe someone you know. Where they woke up and they couldn't move a limb. Couldn't move a finger. And eventually it turned them loose. I've had women that tell me that happened to me. And, uh, but after they say, you're not alone. I know that's right, but after this, the struggle, the struggle is real. <laughs> I've had women that tell me that happened to them. And when they were stiff, it was a, a, a figure of a man came and did all kind of sexual things to them. While they was laid out stiff, couldn't move, couldn't do nothing, couldn't scream, couldn't say nothing. All they could see 
and they could hear, but they couldn't move. That's evil. That's the devil. Yeah, that is evil right there. So we'll encounter some things, but we can call on the name of Jesus. And I heard him say every night before he went to bed, well, not every night, but one night before he went to bed, he had spoken to someone and they told him to bind that thing up. The prayer, the prayer of faith against that, and that's what he did. And he said that one prayer, he didn't have to pray it no more, and nothing never came to attack him in his sleep. I went to the doctor, and I was telling her I wasn't sleeping well. And she said, well, let's try these sleeping pills. And I thought about it, but I said, okay, I'll try the sleeping pills. The first night I took one. And I'm telling you, I slept really good now. But coming up to time to wake up, it was like evil knew. And I said it was drugs. The pill, the pill was a real drug. The first time I woke up, it was a man and he was over me and then he walked back and just disappeared. The next time I took it again, the net, and I, I was like, what in the world is going on? I don't have this kind of foolishness. And the next time, it was a woman, and she was like she had a lacy covering on. And she was walking towards my office. And I sat up and then went on, you know, prayed and went on. And later on, the Lord spoke to me and said, it's some sleeping pills. I said, oh, yes, Lord, not another one. Not another one will I take. Yeah. So I decided not to take not any more sleeping pills, and I'm all right. I sleep good. Yeah, I, usually I'm tired anyway. Yeah, some nights I make it to the couch, and that's as far as I can do it because I'm tired, and I'm I'm okay with that. I am okay with the couch. It reclines. I breathe better and everything. Yeah, but I'm good. I'm good. But I know this. There are spirits in the land, and right now in our land, we have the spirit of murder. That thing even using children to shoot and kill people. Yeah. In the land, the spirit of murder in the land. And that thing going to and fro, killing whoever will allow him to use them to shoot, stab, Cut whatever they need to do. And some people don't believe spirits are real. See? And when you don't believe, that's what he's banking on. Because he can use you more. He can come against you more. You ever thought of something and say, hmm, that's not like me to think like that. But you go on, you don't pay no attention. Right then and there, you should begin to bind that up in Jesus' name. I learned to cast back to the pits of hell never to return. And I can't, I can't say these, oh, these gluttonous spirits, no, I got to say this. This, this flesh won't what it won't. No spirit using it. My hand and mouth using me. <laughs> yeah, but there are spirits lurking in the land. When God asked the devil what he was doing, he said he was going to and fro. 
seeking. He's looking for. I mean, he he he's diligent about it, seeking whom he made the buy. Who will let me use him? Who can I give this thought to? And they're going to carry it out to the letter. Because sometimes our flesh is already thinking that. And the devil knows some things about you that you don't know that he knows. So he come in with your flesh. And when you know anything, you done did something. When you know anything, you've done some stuff that you'll regret later. I bet everybody that has killed somebody and went to prison, whether it was for three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, I don't care. I know they thought back to that particular day. Had I not entertained that thought, I never would have went over there. A lot of times he used people in group settings. Two people are having an argument, you know, a disagreement. He'll tell one, because a, a crowd of people around, and they oh, oh, this and that. Sometimes they tell, I know you're not going to let them get away with that. So now he want to react to the crowd. And look like the big man or woman before the crowd. And when when you're done, guess where you are? You're the one before the judge receiving a life sentence, a 30-year sentence, a 20-year sentence. You're the one. The crowd is gone. That cheer on crew, they gone. And all they doing now is telling, oh, he didn't even have to do that. But you cheered him on. Or you cheered her on. Evil get in where you let it in. It'll get in where you allow it to fit in, in your life. Fornication, all of that. Them spirits come. It already know that your flesh is weak. So when it when it see the least little sign, you flirt with a man, you flirt with a woman. When he see that, oh, here he come wide open. I'm gonna give you something to work with now. I'm I, I'm gonna show you how to feel if you get with him. I'm gonna show you what he'll do and what you'll do if if y'all get together. The devil is a fool and a liar. We ain't getting together. Uh-uh. Not in that. I'm going straight to hell with that. What take me straight to hell? No, uh-uh. I, I, I'm not with him. I am not with him. Some things we do, uh, it won't take you there. But some things you can do will take you straight to the devil. Because you can't be with God with that in you. Come unto me. All that are burdened and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Not only that, if you receive my spirit today, I will lead and guide you in the right path for my name's sake. But you have to allow me to do it. Many times he's speaking to us, we ignore it. We thinking that's us thinking this way. Anything good. You know that's God telling you to do what's good. Now, that devil is not going to tell you to do what's good. That devil is not going to tell you, oh, they cut you off, let them back in. Oh, they done broke down on the side of the road. Stop and see if you can make a phone call or be of some assistance. They cut you off. Nah, they cut me off. Let me tell you, I said it and I had to repent and I had to stop the nonsense. People would just be flying, you know. 
ride my bumper, and I can't get over to the right. In Florida, we call that the slow lane. <laughs> the middle lane and the far last lane, them to get on up the road lane. Those are faster lanes, but those are passing lanes. And the car just riding me, riding me, and they zoom on by. I say, yeah, go ahead. The police going to be waiting on you on up the road. The trooper waiting on you. That was not right to say that. My prayer should have been, Lord, fix their mind right now. Regulate their mind in the name of Jesus. But now I'm going them to get a big fat ticket, a $500, $600 ticket. That's not right. Because now I'm seeking revenge. I'm taking matters in my own hands. I've gone on up the road, no trooper. <laughs> no trooper stopped them at all. Why? I spoke the wrong thing. That wasn't right. Yeah. Sometimes we say, keep going. You're going to get what you got, what you need. No, don't say that either. <laughs> yeah, the Lord working with me on some things around here. No, nope, that's wrong. Wish no ill will on no one. Because, again, this morning, the first one without sin cast the first uh, cast the first stone. The one who has never done anybody or anything wrong in this life, you'll be the first one to speak bad about. Well, Louis, I want you to stop letting him bring out the worst in you. He came up, but driving can bring out the worst in me. <laughs> and many more people, many more people that driving can bring out the worst in them. We hear about road rage all the time. Yeah. Amen, Pastor David. I heard a pastor say you can't have control and faith. You must relinquish control to have faith. Amen. I am with you when you're right, right there, sir. Yes, sir. I am with you when you're right. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Good morning, CR. God bless you this morning, honey bunny. <laughs> and a good morning, brother Anthony. God bless you this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we bind up the spirits that we need to bind up. And we may have to do it more than once. I bind up that spirit of of, of uh, lust for food. <laughs> I bind up the spirit of overeating. Yeah. And eat what I'm supposed to. I can have uh, a bowl, I should say a cup. I can have a cup of soup and a half a piece of pumpernickel toast and drink some water. If you drink enough water, it's very filling. Now, if I need a snack, I can have a, a that other half of pumpernickel toast with a half a spoon of peanut butter on it. That's protein. I can have a boiled egg. But see, my mind wants other things, fattening stuff. Yeah, a half a piece of pumpernickel. <laughs> you want to go to Larry Giant Subs and get the real deal. <laughs> no, you can't have it. Yeah. But the flesh is weak. I'm just telling you today. The spirit is indeed willing. But many days that flesh is weak. I'm sorry you're hungry, Brother Lewis. Yeah. And if we really desire something, God will come in. What's right, God will come in because he told us to do what's right. He said, do good. And it's good to take care of this vessel that he gave us. 
Yeah. So it's all right this morning in Jesus' name. Listen, I'm going to one more. I got to look at it because I'm hoping uh, we can finish this one up today. I'm not real sure. Okay, that's that one. Y'all bear with me. You know, so much is in here. I have to find it. All right, I'm going to this one um, while I look for it. I will cry myself to sleep because like God like this this can't be the reality it can't be this 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 cannot be it I'm trying to live right I'm 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 I gave my life to you uh I'm trying my best 
but when I'm trying, why are these devils coming in? I'm, I just, I was at a point where I was giving up, like, God, like, I can't do this. This is mentally tormenting and emotionally and physically exhausting. My name is Otis Reynolds. Um, I'm 24. I'm from uh, Birmingham, England. Um, a backstory to how I was actually born. So I have an older sister. She's 27. Well, she's turning 27. I'm turning 25. The funny story about this was that we was actually meant to be uh, five years apart. And uh, the way that it actually happened was my mum planned for my sister to uh, go to private school. And then she planned for me to go to private school. But because there was a, uh, a price that was obviously expensive, my mum wanted us to be five years apart, which clearly didn't happen. And the story behind that was, so my mum was on contraception after she gave birth to my sister. She was on the coil and she was on the pill. That's like double, like you're not getting pregnant. And uh, what happened was she got pregnant and she got pregnant with me. The crazy thing about it was when she went to the hospital, um, they said that you can abort the baby because if I was born with the coil there, then there'll be dangers and there'll be possibilities that I would die because the coil will be in my brain, in my eye, anywhere in my body. So they recommended her to abort me, but she didn't want to abort me. So they told her if she wants the pregnancy to go as smoothly as possible, she has to take out the coil. And when she takes out the coil, there is a chance where she will lose me. Um, but my mom said, you know, let's, let's go ahead. And thankfully, through all the contraception, I'm still here. Um, I shouldn't be, but I am. And it's funny because the reason why I believe that I'm supposed to be here was because shortly after that moment, my dad got sick. And when my dad got sick, he actually eventually died a few years later. And because, you know, he died, if it was their plan and it was five years, I just, I wouldn't be here. So it was like a, yeah. That's a miracle. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So so tell us about growing up in England and, and your life before Jesus. Growing up, my dad was sick. Um, I don't really have a lot of memories with my dad because he died when I was five. Uh, as soon as he passed away, it was just me, my mum, my sister in the house. Um, my grandma also came very involved, which was my dad's mum. And she became like a second mum to me. It was like my mum, my grandma and my sister. Um, when my dad died when I was five, I also was suffering with really bad asthma. Also as a child, there was a lot of underlying seduction sexual behavior like kiss chase in nursery and uh, there would be times where like girlfriends would come to their house when I was five six like innocently but then we would end up just like kissing each other on like our bellies our faces or touches we don't know what we're doing but um it, it was just going that way and I think that was the start of when little sexual things started to arise in me for that's the first time I noticed and I was actually in nursery at the time and I think after that moment I think it just really increased uh, the sexual things started to increase I'll never forget I was on the sofa one time and uh, I sat on the remote control and as soon as I sat on the remote control I was about seven years old porn came on the TV and I was like at the time, I was just frozen. I was so frozen. I was looking at the TV, just like glued, and I, I just could not take my eyes off the TV. I was glued, and obviously at that point, you don't know nothing about masturbation. You're just so innocent as a child. But there was something that was drawing to me to the, the TV and the porn. And at that point, so I was like seven, eight, and 
there'll be times where I would go downstairs, wake up early because I found out what time these channels would come on and I would just watch it. My mum never knew. She knows now, but she never knew. And then uh, when uh, it was light time, I would also, uh, when I had a TV in my room, I would find the channel and I would just watch it and I'd just stare and I'd just stare. I don't know what would happen but I would just always feel this yearning for it so I would continue to always watch it growing up and growing up around the ages of eight I went into McDonald's toilets this is a time I, f I was um, nearly raped um, I believe or sexually assaulted um, I went to McDonald's with my mum and when I was in McDonald's I wanted to go to the toilet so I went to the toilet mum waited outside and I was you know I went in and I'll never forget, I'd done what I needed to do. And as I was coming out, uh, two men came in and um, they they kind of pushed me back into the bathroom. And when they pushed me back into the bathroom, the one guy was like, well, where are you going? What, what are you doing? Where are you going? And I was just scared. I was just frozen, like like legit just frozen um, because I was a kid. And these were like grown men. i never forget, the one started to put his hand like on my neck and just started to like touch me. And I was just stuck, frozen, fear. And then the guy said, come on, let's do it. So the other guy said, come on, let's, let's do it, let's do it. And then when he was about to put me into the cubicle, the one man said, no, like, don't do it to him. Like, stop. And the guy's like, why? Like, we've got him. He's right here. Like, this is what we're supposed to do. And the guy was like, I, I don't know what it is, but there's something about him. We're not supposed to touch this one. I don't know what it is, but just don't touch him. So the other guy looked at the guy like, like, are you okay? Like, we've, we've got him, like... But eventually he, he let me out. He let me go. He let me out. And I walked straight to my mum and I just sat down and I was just frozen. And I didn't say a word to my mum because growing up without a dad, you have to learn as a boy how to become a man because you have no male influences. So I really had to learn, okay, God, I wasn't even God at the time. Yes, I was going to church. But as a kid, it's like, okay, man, like... I don't want to worry my mom. I don't want to worry my grandma. I don't want to worry my sister. There was areas of me that I had to mature quickly and I had to learn how to become a man. So whatever happened to me, I just never told anybody. I just went through it and I guess I just had to deal with it by myself. And every time I went to back to the toilets, I was always scared because I thought two men were going to come in or another man's going to come in. And yeah, that was, that was interesting. When I was around 10, 11... I was touched, molested um, by my um, one of my aunties on my grandma's dad's side. I used to go over to their house for study, tutoring, for school. i never forget the girl, my auntie, she came out. So let's play a game, let's play a game. I'm like, right, cool, let's, let's play a game. I love games. I was an energetic kid, loved to have fun, play games. She was like, if you don't answer this question right, then I get to kiss you. And if you don't answer it right the second time, I get to kiss you for longer. So I'm like, okay, all right, cool. I don't know any better. She then does the very thing. She comes and she kisses me because I got the question wrong. I don't know if she kissed me. I remember just like freezing and thinking, well, this is, this is strange. This, is, this doesn't feel natural. This doesn't feel normal. And then she goes, well, let's play again. And then she's asking me questions that I, there's no way that I'm going to get this right. And again, from the one kiss, 10 to 10 seconds to 20 seconds, and then ended up her touching me and touching body parts. And at that point, it's like, I, I need to go. So I remember um, I left that scene at that moment. But then there was another time 
where I was going to the fridge and this one always, I don't know, this one always brings back some kind of emotion. But I remember I was going to the fridge and when I was going to the fridge, I was going to get some orange juice and I took out the bottle and I turned around and she was just there. And the fridge was in like a corner so she could put her arms like that and I'm like trapped in the middle. And I remember she put her arms like that and she says, you're not going anywhere. And then she tries to like, just like kiss my neck and just really touch me and... I was fighting for my life, but she was big and she was strong and she was just older and taller. I just couldn't get out. Eventually, I found a gap between her arm and her leg and I just jumped through the gap and I ran to the back garden because I didn't know what else to do. This, the whole sexual stuff really opened up from a, from a young age and then going into my teenage, same thing. But obviously, as a teenager, you learn about sex education and then you hear other people's thoughts about sex and yeah the whole sexual thing really opened up to me when i was a teenager especially going to high school and and i know you said you didn't mention this to to your mom but between high school and being little did you ever speak about this with anybody no i no i was not telling anybody about this because when those things happen you start to blame yourself and you don't know why you blame yourself you just think i was a part of it i done something wrong so I, I was I was never going to say it because I thought I was going to get in trouble. I also thought that if I tell her, my mum would probably kill her. So I was like, I, I need to do the best that I can to protect myself and protect my family. And I thought the best way to do that was silence. And that silence, I guess, just brought more of an appetite, brought more of a bit of shame, it made me start to suppress my actual emotions and start to uh, pretend my feelings in front of my mom and my sister, hmm. um, just so to make sure that they was okay. So, At what age did you come to surrender your life to Jesus? I was 18. I was 18. And how old are you right now? I'm 24, turning 25. Talk to us about that time hmm. in between there from, okay, experiencing all of this in your childhood to now becoming uh, in your teens and then surrendering your life to the Lord. What happened there? So as soon as I went to high school, in England we say secondary school, um, that was just like sexual culture just came out. That's where the uh, I got addicted to masturbation. And I'll never forget the story. There was a boy, um, there was a boy that came up to me and he was talking about ejaculation, obviously saying other terms, but he was talking about ejaculation. And I had no idea what he was talking about. Like I was so innocent. I had no idea what he was talking about. And he told me, well, you know, if you want to see it, when you go home, go lie down on your bed, do this to yourself. And you'll see what I'm talking about. So what did I do? I went home. I would lie down on the bed and it happened. And then I got addicted. The feeling just, over I'll never forget the first time I did it. The feeling felt like it overcame my whole body. And I thought, wow, like I need to do that again. And for my teenage years, it became uh, masturbating every day to three times a day to four times a day. Masturbation really uh, took off. As the masturbation took off, uh, obviously I lost my virginity. And when I lost my virginity, the sex took off. I was just having sex uh, a lot of places, um, a lot of the time. It was just a, it was just a lot of sexual activity for all the teenage years. And I guess then growing up, growing up without a dad in high school and seeing Father's Day and everyone's dad came to their football games and everyone's dad came to their sports days. And I never had that. You know, it, it produced like an anger. It produced this level of rejection. It produced this level of um, I don't belong. So every time that Father's Day come up or any time that a feeling would try and come that would remind me of not having a dad or, I guess, rejection. I used to fight in school. 
I used to fight for the fun. I used to mess around, the class clown. I felt like I had to perform to prove myself. I never really was validated by a man. I was never validated that you're doing a great job, you're doing well, you're doing good. So my validation came from my peers. It came from everyone saying, you're funny, you're hilarious. And I was rude. Like I made teachers cry. I was just bad in school, but that gave me a level of popularity. And I never had that. I only had that in my sports because I used to be an athlete. So playing football, well, we call it soccer, but playing, um, well, we call it football. You guys call it soccer. That's where I got all my affirmation. But anywhere else, I never got it. So coming from that sports background is a performance background. So I performed everywhere I went. I performed at uh, school. I performed at home. I performed with my friends. So that teenage years just brought out a lot of emotions, a lot of um, rejection, a lot of anger, rage at points, and a lot of sex. So that was teenage years. So now we fast forward to when I'm 18. Now when I'm 18, um, at this point, I was playing for uh, a team called Birmingham City in England. I was in the development squad. So Birmingham City is a professional team, and they have categories. And my category that I was in was the development squad at the time. I remember my time was up. Uh, I was 18. And I felt this call on my heart. I felt this, like, the best way I could describe it was like, some, something is calling me. I believed it was God because growing up, my mom did bring my sister and myself to church. So I really did believe it was God calling me, but I didn't know. So I thought, let me try it out. I went to church after church after church, and nothing was happening, nothing whatsoever. And I thought, God, I, I feel like this is you. You know, I'm out here clubbing. I'm out here sexing. I'm out here drinking. Um, um, there was an area in my teenage that uh, sold a little bit of drugs on the side. But I felt this call. I felt this call, and I was going to churches and nothing, just nothing. And I left deflated. And then I got myself a job and I worked at Nando's and uh, there was this girl that was there. She's a very beautiful girl. And when I saw this girl, my intentions were, you know, you are a fine girl. Let me, let's go into that area of sex and whatever. What happened was when I approached her, she actually was a Christian and she started to tell me that, you know, I go to church and she was giving me no time today. But I liked the challenge. I always felt like, you know, I was that guy at, at the time. Um, Oh, yeah. So I like the challenge. I went for it. And I just the church persona came on me. He said, you know, I was I, I went to church. My mom took me to church. So I know the scriptures a bit. And, you know, I, I tried to flame away. And I really did. Um, and again, she wasn't really having it. But she invited me to a church. It was Ruach at the time. Uh, and Bishop John Francis was coming to the service from London. I never forget, walked in, sat on the back row. I remember he was just preaching and I'm there just rocking. I'm just rocking. I feel like he's talking to me like, like, God, this is crazy right now. Everything was like, I felt like everything about my life was being exposed. He then called everybody up. He wanted to touch everybody. And when it was my turn and I came up, he got some oil. Before he put the oil on me, he said that you, uh, your life's never going to be the same. And he put the oil on my head. And when he put the oil on my head, it's like everything went black. I couldn't see anything. It's like I felt like my eyes were open, but I couldn't see anything. And in that time, those few seconds of me not seeing anything, I heard a voice so clear. And the voice said, your past is over. Now go and live for me. And as soon as I heard that, my eyes opened straight away. And from that moment, I was like, okay, I know God is real. I, I heard that. So from that moment, I felt like that call got satisfied. I said, like, God, I heard you. Let's go. The next day, 
all my friends locked them off. I stopped going to the clubs. I stopped trying to have sex. Two weeks later, I got baptized. And uh, two weeks after that, I, I preached. And it was like a fast motion. It's like a fast track. I guess that's how I got saved. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Talk to us about, about your life after. Because obviously, you still have a lot of things that the Lord has to, you know, help you go through. <laughs> you also have had some encounters and, and you've seen a lot of things in the spiritual realm. And so I want us to go, you know, slowly through it. But let's start after that moment. What began to happen? What did be, did you begin to see? What did you begin? What did the Lord begin to do inside of you? Yeah. So I never really saw in the spiritual realm before I was saved. Before I was saved, I always used to have two dreams. And the two dreams were the same old dreams. When I was a child growing up, every time I misbehaved, I'd have a dream of these angels walking down this path. And every time I saw these angels, I would run behind a rock. And I would hide because I knew that I did something wrong. And the angels would all look at the same time. And they would look at me. And they would just shake their head in, like, sadness. And they would carry on walking down this beautiful path. That was one dream I always used to have. And uh, the second dream I always used to have was there was God and there was Satan and it was on this battleground. And on this battleground, there was like millions of people in the middle. On this battleground, Satan morphed himself to look like God. And everyone who have first saw God, when they saw Satan turn into God, they started to run to Satan, who looked like God. And I remember I was in the gym saying, everybody, that's not the real God. This is the real God. Like, come on, come on. And, I remember in the dream, Satan eventually got the people and swallowed them up. So those were the two dreams I would constantly have before I was saved. But that was the most I saw. After getting saved, that's when I started to see everything. That's when fears and different things started to come. Um, I remember as soon as I got saved, it's like my dream life just opened. I started to dream and I used to see demons, I used to see devils, I used to see angels. I used to see a lot of things as soon as I got saved. It was like an instant uh, motion. I remember now when I used to pray, when I first got saved, I would hear a clap or I'd hear a, a bang every time I'd start to pray and it would freak me out. I'd, I'd, I'd open my eyes and it would just scare me and stop me from praying. So now I'm hearing things, I'm seeing things that I never heard or saw before. But I knew that these were demons and devils because it was always um, stopping me from praying and going forward with God. Obviously, as you said, there's certain things that I didn't deal with. As soon as you get saved, you have to go through the process. So masturbation was strong after I got saved masturbation was strong i got saved and i every night i would still masturbate two three times a day and slowly and slowly it would get shorter and shorter and then what started to happen to me was every time i didn't masturbate um, a demon would come into my room and pin me down on my bed it would either come down and pin me down on my bed or i would have a dream of me having sex in the dream and i would ejaculate either one way or the other now, really quick, just to clarify, when you say a demon would come in mm -hmm. and pin you down, yeah. is this in the physical? This is, is this... Yeah, like this is physically. I, I would see this demon come into my room. What did he look like, if you don't mind me the, asking? The, the, the best way I can describe it was like an animal. It looked like a bear. That's the best way I can describe it. It was big, it was tall, and it would come, always come the same route through my door, uh, down to the end of my bed, and then it would come over to me on the bed. And it was like I couldn't move. It's like I didn't physically have 
physical hands pinned me down, but I saw it physically come in. And as it came on top of me, I couldn't move. I was stuck. And I would ejaculate like that or it would happen in my um, dream. And uh, it was a constant thing. I was trying to start masturbation because I knew that's what God wanted. And I was trying to become a better man in that sense. But at the same time, every time I start masturbating, I would have to deal with these dreams and deal with these devils. And I would cry myself to sleep because like, God, like this, this can't be the reality. It can't be. This, this, this cannot be it. I'm trying to live right. I'm, 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 I've gave my life to you. Uh, I'm trying my best. But when I'm trying, why are these devils coming in? And I just, I was at a point where I was giving up, like, God, like, I can't do this. This is mentally tormenting and emotionally and physically exhausting. I remember I used to call, I called my uh, apostle back in England, Apostle Emmanuel. And uh, I remember I asked him, I said, I'm, I'm trying to stop masturbating and these devils keep coming. And he just kept saying to me the scripture, you know, the Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he will flee, like, stay strong. And eventually, after a few more tormenting moments, it, it just stopped. I really submitted myself to that process and it, it stopped. The, ma- the, masturbation, the masturbation stopped. It took a few years. It didn't happen straight away. It was a year's process. I was saved. I was, um, you know, rejoicing. I was glorifying God, getting people saved. But then at the same time, me doing that, I was still bound to masturbation and I was still bound to porn. And I still had to deal with these devils and these demons. So, um yeah, that that was like the, the start of when I got saved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did the did the Lord begin to deal with the molestation? Um, yeah. Obviously, there's some forgiveness that has to happen there. Yeah. What did He do in that area? So, what's crazy about that area was that um, there was a woman. Um, she was like a mentor to me, like a mother figure to me. Um, and uh, I went to her house and. Um, she prayed for me and then when she prayed for me she said i see some locked doors at the back of your mind like you've forgotten about them that some things have happened to you and you don't even remember because i genuinely forgot that i got molested i had no idea i put it so far at the back of my mind that i had no idea i was touched and then um she was praying for me and she said i see the holy spirit unlocking these doors now and then she goes one door's unlocked and when she said that a flood of memories started to come back like instantly and I remembered the moments of when I was um, sexually assaulted or molested and touched it all came back to me and I started to cry and I didn't realize and that was the most crazy thing I didn't realize I got molested I didn't I had no idea and how old were you at this time I was 20 21 20 I think I was 20 wow yeah, I had no idea, you know, it happened to me 10, 12 years ago, and I had no idea that it happened, but the Holy Spirit brought it back to my remembrance, and I just started to really cry, and I think in my tears, pain, you start to feel the pain, the memory of it, the the shame of it, the, the, the traumas of it, it all starts to come back, and you know, it, it, was a, it was a process, after she did that, I thought, man, I haven't even told anyone, so then I had to get through the process of the shame so I could start to tell people and first I told my apostle and I told him because I know he went through a similar thing and I was so scared man I was so scared to go back to tell him I didn't know how he was going to look at me I didn't know what he would say and even in my mind I knew he would look at me still in the right way because he's gone through it but this is the first time that I'm going to tell anyone and when I told him you know he he really loved on me like he was just, just like such a great and still is a father figure to me he really loved on me through it. You know, it wasn't your fault. And 
I guess that was how I really got over it by me, I guess, sharing it, me praying about it. And, yeah. yeah. How did your mom um, react to it or that conversation? Yeah, so uh, I actually only told my mom about that two years ago. And uh, she was she was shocked, um, of course, because she had no idea. She was more like very quiet. I thought she might have been a bit, ah, ah, you know. Uh, if I told her back then, she probably would have you know, killed her. But because all these years have happened and she's seen how I've progressed into a man and still progressing into a man. She she was like, why didn't why didn't you say anything? And I was like, mom, what, what could I say? Like, what what do you want me to say? Um, I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to protect Olivia. I know what you went through with my dad's death. I know the whole testimony. I know the story. You really suffered. You were broken. How can I tell you, mom, something like that when you are broken? So I I guess just had to deal with it. And you know, she was she was just uh, I think a bit confused. Um, yeah, she was just a bit confused, but she was she was okay because she sees how I am now, so she was okay. Did you ever have a conversation with with the person who did no, it? No, I've never had a conversation with her, and that's not because I hold bitterness or unforgiveness to her. The last time I seen her was about twelve years ago. Um, in general, and when it comes to our family, you know, there's there's like some division in certain places, so we haven't spoke to them in about twelve twelve years, and. Because of that, it's, there's just never been a conversation. I haven't got her number. I don't know anything about her. And I could speak to her, but I feel in my heart I don't need to, you know. Yeah. M- maybe if the Lord brings it up, then I probably would. But I don't even know if she realized what she did. And I know that's crazy to say because she's grown. She's old. And it's crazy because I always get taken back to um, Jesus on the cross. And he said, forgive them for they don't know what they, they're doing. And that's like a tough uh, pill to swallow because you would think that, you know, yeah, like they know exactly what they're doing to Jesus. They're beating him, they're whipping him, they're spitting at him, but he's still saying on the cross, like, forgive them for they do not know. So I think my mindset is, even though that kind of traumatized me in ways, I don't think she knew. I, I I don't think she knew that there must have been a void area there. There must have been something that she didn't get. And, you know, my mind takes me to those places when it comes to people. They act like that because something happened to them. They act like that because they didn't have enough love. And so I don't, I don't blame her. I, I, I don't. Now, Otis, you are in America right now. I am, yeah. A long way from home. A long way from home. Uh, talk to us about that. How did you get here? What got you to come over here? I think that's an interesting part of your testimony. Yeah. Um, how, how, how did that happen? Yeah, so... How I'm here is when I was, I think I was 21, 2019, 21, 22, I was on this path to be a professional soccer player. That was the path. That was the goal. Uh, my apostle back home prophesied and said to me, you're going to go to America uh, in August. I think it was 2019. And I did. And I thought solely it was going to be for football, soccer. Sorry, I'm getting confused. So I came. I was I was the best player on the team. Uh, I got a chance to be captain and two months in I was already having conversations about how you can become a professional uh, soccer player in America I had coaches I had scouts I had directors our football clubs coming and speaking to me so I thought yes like this is the this is the goal I'll glorify God in this field of soccer like this is the goal and uh, as soon as I had an opportunity and a professional club came in for me COVID came and the director spoke to me and said listen because of COVID now the funds have dropped uh, there's no way we can have you in because the whole uh, country's on lockdown. So 
I was just there like, okay, God, okay, you know. It came right onto my lap, but then it went. So I had to wait. I had to go back to England. And uh, when I was going back to England, uh, I was there for Christmas, and I was going to go back to America, go back to my trial, and we was going to start again. But then I found an app called Clubhouse, and Clubhouse was obviously popping at the time. And uh, this is where I met uh, my leader here in America, um, uh, Prophet Jordan Bright. Um, he was on Clubhouse, and he was, I think, prophesying and stuff. And, you know, I clicked the, the link, and I thought, okay, let me, let me stay on for a bit. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, come on in two hours' time. Like, he gave me an exact time. It was like 5.55 a.m. my time. Come on. So I was like, okay. So I left, and I came on at 5.55. As soon as I came on, Prophet Jordan brought me to the stage, and he just prophesied my whole entire life, as they do. Prophesied my whole entire life. You know, he even got people to sow seeds in me. And he told me, I don't know what you're doing in England because I see you in America. In my head, I'm thinking, yes, for football, I'm coming back. I'm going to do what I'm going to need to do. <laughs> but let did I know God was about to shift my plans. So um, what happened after that was I started to have dreams about Prophet Jordan. And I was like, why am I having dreams about this man? Let me hit him up. So I hit him up. And I said, after our conversation and you prophesied to me, I just can't get it off my mind. And he said that he had a dream about me the same day that I actually hit him up. And he was like, okay, so I, what I want you to do, if you feel like this is God, if you feel like meant to connect, I want you to fast for seven days, just water, and ask for three signs. I said, bet. So I fasted seven days, asked for three signs. One of the signs were to, when I was in America, to play sports, you have to be at university. So the first sign was for the university to tell me they do not want me to come back. I want them to find a reason because if this is you, God, you are going to make them find a reason. So that was the first sign. The second sign was for me to have another dream about me being with Jordan in America. And the third one was uh, me telling my mom and my mom being completely okay that I was about to go to another state in America and, and be with a stranger in their ministry. They one of the fast email from the university. We're sorry to say that because of financial reasons, uh, we don't want you to come back. Um, but maybe in the years to come, you can come back and study. Whoa, day one already, yo. Okay, God, okay, that's that's one sign gone. Day three, I had a dream of um, me and Jordan. Everywhere Jordan went in the dream, I was just doing the exact same thing he was doing. And then the third sign of me asking my mom, I asked her, and she was like, do you feel like it's God? And I said, yeah. She goes, well, go. I thought, wait, what? Like, whoa, okay, this is crazy because, yo, my mom is a bit like, uh, who is this person? What's going on? But all three signs were answered. So then it was all about me getting here, all about me getting here. And uh, Prophet Jordan made it happen. And uh, I guess, yeah, now I'm in the States. I've been in the States since last year, um, April. And um, because of visa stuff, I'm going backwards, forwards, backwards and forwards. But, you know, one day we're hoping and... Uh, Open for God, that would be an opportunity for me to just stay here because I believe I'm called mm. to America. Well, I know I'm called to America. So. Can you share with us your testimony with uh, uh, encountering the Lord Jesus? Yeah. Um, you have multiple encounters, but if, if you don't mind, I would love for you to share that. Yeah, sure. So, so this is how I knew I was called to America in the first place, even when I was playing football and church and stuff. Um, I I fell asleep. I went to sleep, and I had a dream that I was. And how old were you at this time? I was I was 21. I was 21. Yeah, I was 21 at this time. Um, again, I had, I had no desire, no no attachment to America. I didn't want to go, not for any reason. I just wanted to make it as a footballer in England. But one night, I was taken into a dream, 
and I remember I was taken out of my body as I went to sleep and all of a sudden I'm sh- I've shut off all the way into like the universe I see the earth uh, in front of me and I see these gigantic big feet legs standing in the earth and I'm just there fearful because I recognize that okay this is a this is a spiritual being and then I never forget as I looked to my left I saw Jesus walk to me his face was white his face was white and he was in white but he, I couldn't see his face it was literally like a glow like just a white light and um he told me uh who he was and I knew like the best way you could describe it is was when you encounter Jesus you just know like you're like you know, the creator, the, the the son of God, the Lord of God, he's, he's there. It's like your body quivers, like you just know. And he comes over to me and he says, I'm sending you as a prophet to uh, the United States of America. And it was like he took me onto the world and it was crazy because it's like we was like now walking on the world. And it was like the ocean will come to our ankles and we're walking in the world. And he would like pick up America and he would show me about the power states of America. He would say, these are the power states of what are running the country right now. And I'm going to send you as a prophet and I'm going to send you into the government and I'm going to send you as one uh, who will go in for my namesake. And this will be the start and the gateway for you. And I'm, I remember just being at awe because I remember him picking up the land and just walking in the ocean and stuff. And I was just at awe. But every word that he said was so sharp. I, I, I could not miss it. And... Um, I remember after as soon as he said those words and he told me that he's sending me as a prophet and that's my gateway city like I woke up so that was my first time um, that I encountered uh, Jesus and how I knew spiritually that I was a prophet as well because before you know people have prophesied you know prophetic anointing prophetic grace you're a prophet spiritually in that moment now I know because Jesus told me he's sending me as a prophet that was my first one my second one, I was into deliverance at this point. I'm all into demonology and deliverance and devils. And I started studying the marine kingdom and I was just so intrigued about how does this kingdom operate and how does it work and what does it look like. And I remember I asked God before I went to sleep, I said, Lord, I said, if there's any way, can you show me the marine kingdom? Can you show me the kingdoms of darkness and of the earth to show me, show me what I can't see? And I'll never forget, went to sleep, I was taken out my body again. And I was taken out my body onto this beach, beautiful white sand, beautiful blue ocean. And again, uh, Jesus again, white face, um, still there, uh, same appearance as when I saw him. Uh, his face was glowing, like a, the brightest light, like glowing. And uh, his hand was out like this to me. And uh, I walked to him and I grabbed his hand. And he was walking me in the ocean. And at this point, I don't know what we're doing here. I don't know what's going on. But he walked me in the ocean. And as we walk him, we walk in the ocean. The ocean's going higher and higher. And then all of a sudden, it's like, bang, we shoot to a point in the ocean. We're going like 100 miles an hour, it felt like, into the ocean. And at that point, it, we just stopped. And then when we stop, he then shows me all these demons in the ocean. He says, this is, this is the smaller uh, demons in the ocean these are the these are the ones that are not as big and not as evil as the ones where i'm going to take you next so these demons were like frozen their eyes could move left and right but the bodies just could not move and i was just there looking at these at these demonic sea creatures that they look like just in the ocean and they were frozen 
And then he took me to the next place, grabbed his hand again, took me to the next place. And when I went to the next place, now these were bigger ones. And even the, the presence in this place felt darker. It really felt dark. Like this dark felt like tangible dark. It felt dark. And these were huge and big demons in the sea. And I was looking around. And I'll never forget, I must have been facing this way. And I remember I turned around and there was a demon right there. And I must have jumped. And fear tried to rise, but straight away got shut down because Jesus was with me. I remember looking at this demon. And I was looking at it. And it looked like, I always say it looked like Randall from Monsters, Inc. It looked a spitting image of Randall. But when I looked in this demon's eyes, it was like saying, like, I want to kill you. Like, I hate you. Like, you feel that hatred in the eyes. It was just looking at me, staring at me. And he took me to the next part. And it was like these working factories under the ocean um, where things were getting passed from one place to another in the ocean. And it was just a lot. And then eventually he went back to the shore, walked me to the shore. Turned around to see if he was there. He was gone. Then I woke up. So that were the two times I've I've um, seen Jesus. I haven't seen him <laughs> any other time. Wow. Yeah. What do you believe he's calling you to do today? Like in this time now? You you said you're 26. Well, I'm, t- I'm 24. I'm 24. 25. Sorry. Yeah. It's okay. You're 24. Yeah. What is he pulling out of you right now? Where What does he want you to do? Obviously, we know that you're you you're called to America. Um, but where are you at with your relationship with Jesus? What I feel like God is doing with me right now, it is definitely preparing me. I've had dreams of me going to different governments and different kings. I've had dreams of me in the White House. I've had dreams of me with government officials, not just in America, but in different countries in the world. And I really believe that right now God is just really preparing me. He's maturing me. He's killing me at the same time, denying everything, denying yourself. It's been a very humbling experience, a very humbling process. I really believe he's he's just preparing me to take me into my next place. Um, you know, my my abilities to prophesy and the giftings, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom and it's like all those things are increasing and increasing because I know that there's there's going to be a time very soon that I'm going to be taken into my next place. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know how or what that's going to look like. But I know that there's going to be another sending out. This is just like the training ground, the preparation. England was one, was stage one. Me being here was another level of maturity. And I just feel like God is really preparing me for the governments and the, the, the kings of, of this world. Because again, I've had multiple, multiple dreams about that. Otis, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? I'll say this, and it's funny you ask that, because even me growing up without a dad, he was always my father. I, because I never had a father, it was just so instantly, Father God, Father God, Jesus, Father, 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 Father. Because I was now really affirmed by God. I was really affirmed as a son. Jesus is everything. There's not enough words to describe of what he is. He's, he's my safe place, um, my, my peace, my joy. Um, he's everything that I need. And this could sound cliche. But until you actually experience that truth, it really is that very thing. He's He saved me. I should be dead. You know, car crashes, shouldn't be born. Um, all the things that happened to me, I shouldn't be here. But he he kept me. And it's like, it, it blows my mind. Like, why why me? Why any of us? Do you know what I mean? It's his grace. And like, he, he's just he's just everything. The one word I can say, he's just, he's just everything. He's just everything. One way to ever 
make me cry is for me to ever just talk about the goodness of God because it, it's so real. It's so real. So I don't even know if I've answered your question, but like he's 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 everything. He's legit. He's everything. Oh, does any last words for anybody who is watching your testimony, um, who's just connecting with with your journey, with the journey that you've been on? What are some last words that you can offer to them? <sighs> wow. Um, last words that I would say is don't count yourself out. Don't condemn yourself. You're not your past. You're not your issues. You're not your mistakes. A lot of people in this world judge people for where they go wrong. There are a lot of people in this world, like I was one of them, low self-esteem. Always felt like I had to perform for man. Always felt like I had to uh, be the the funny guy, the the one that everybody liked. Come out of my purpose and my calling to uh, accommodate man and please man. The the beautiful thing about Christ that I learned and that everyone I hope really grab from this is regardless of where you came from, he can transform a caterpillar to a butterfly. And it's it's literally what he does all the time. The more messed up you are, is the more he just gets the glory out of your story. Mm. And that's all he wants. He just wants to get the glory out of your story. There's nothing too hard for God. The Bible already says that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And there's a lot of us, even like myself, when I got saved, I was still in cycles. I was still having sex. I was still uh, in masturbation. That masturbation even went to like a gambling addiction um, because it was like addiction after addiction. But even in that time, I am still here because of his grace. And it's like there is nothing that can genuinely separate you from the love of God. This is not just the word of God. Yes, it is. But it, it is truth and it is reality. So regardless of where you've come from, regardless of what you are still struggling with, if you are still alive, you're here for a reason and for a purpose. And I just want to encourage everyone who's listening or could hear this to know that if you are alive right now and you, you hear what I'm saying, is that God has a plan for you for tomorrow. He, he he sees beyond your mistakes. He sees beyond your transgressions. He's the God of breakthroughs, He's the God of miracles, signs and wonders. He will bring you through. So that's how I would leave encouragement is that, you know, God will bring you through. So, yeah. For people in Europe, the people who are living on that other side of the world and who are watching your testimony, what can you say to those believers mm-hmm who are maybe in a tough situation or who maybe are not finding the community, you know, they may be seeing online or that they desire. What can you speak to the people in those areas? The best advice that I would say is uh, the Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. God is the, the God of the valley and of the mountain. There's times where you may feel like you are not in the right place, the right position. But if you just stay in the secret place, if you just really pray and really seek God, not just seek God when uh, you go to church or when you have that feeling, but if you genuinely seek God, he will direct you to where you need to go. Seeking God looks like reading the word, making sure you pray, not just for five, ten minutes, but really uh, valuing God because you make time for what you value. When you learn to value God, God will really direct you into the places and into the positions where you are supposed to go. For those who have no hope, you have to understand that the Bible is our very hope. Jesus is our very hope. So you cannot let the enemy lie to you in your positions that you're in now. Because your position does not determine your purpose. It determines where you are now. And it will determine God will bring you from this state to another. He does it time and time again. So I would just say, read the Bible, have a prayer life. And 
you will see even without a church if there's some of you that don't have a church if there's some of you that feel like you have no friends if there's some of you that have just got saved and you feel like you've you've left people behind and you're by yourself the holy spirit is always there and he's always listening he will bring you through he really will bring you through and i've been there i've experienced it and it's just about holding on it really is just about holding on Okay, so we heard that one. We heard that testimony. And uh, I'm a living witness. God will bring you out of anything that you've been into. No matter what come your way, no matter what happened to you, God is a deliverer. He's a savior. And he's the savior of the entire world. He already knew what would happen in this world Long before he went to the cross, long before he went to the cross, he didn't wake up one day and decide to make each of us. He already knew about us before he made us. So if we'll go to him and make him real to us, what happens then is we know we're not walking alone. We know we're not by ourselves. Listen, if he brought you out of that, he will bring you out of this, no matter what we've gone through. I've been through some trauma. I've been through some horrific things, even in my life. Yeah. Uh, all kind of stuff. But if any man be in Christ today, he's a new creature. We don't have to keep reliving what happened to us in our past. We don't have to keep going through. If we make God real and we go to him, tell him what you want. I know you heard the song somewhere, Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. He's never too busy. If you text him, he texts back. If you email him, he emails back. If you call him, he'll call back. But most times when you call him, when you text him, when you email him, he's right there. He's answering right now. So what he needs you to do for him is come to him in the realness and let him know what you really need. God, I need deliverance from this. Lord, I was raped as a child. Lord, I had a horrible husband. I had a horrible wife. This woman did me like a dog. God, my children has been against me. My family been against me. God, I've been to prison. God, I've been to jail. God, I lost everything I had in my life. He will come in and make that better. He will come in and turn all of those bad things you've gone through into a testimony. Now that you're on his side, now that he's for you, he said if he be for you, he's more than the whole world against you. But we got to Learn to walk in the promises and the blessings of God. Surround ourselves with spiritual things. Ask God to renew our minds so we can think spiritually. Ask him to teach us how to keep our mind on him so all day and all night he can keep us in perfect peace. Anything we need, we got to Pray to him about it. Believe he's going to do something about it. And when you give it to him, let it go. Please let it go. If not, it will torture you. 
Smokey Robinson wrote a song and said that everybody thought he was the life of the party. They saw him as the life of the party. When they looked at him, he having drinks, he laughing, he joking, he having a good time. It appeared. He said, but if you come close, you can see the tracks of my tears. Everybody laughing, everybody appearing to be good is not good. Everybody that laugh is not happy. This is why we pray for each other. We pray for the members of the household of faith. We pray for those that have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we don't try to get people to come our way. We try to get people to come God's way. He's Jehovah God. He's almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing. There's nothing too hard for him to do. But we got to go to him in sincerity. Telling him what's wrong. Let him know, I want to be delivered. When I went to him and I told him what I wanted, he gave me what I wanted and a little bit more. Well, a lot more, really. You will hear testimony after testimony how God has brought people out. All these people in the world, ooh, that's a lot of people. The world is a humongous place. And the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. There's nothing too hard he, that he can't do for you. Today again, David said, I cried unto the Lord. He heard my cry. But we got to want his way, not our flesh. Because our flesh, the way I have us crying out to the Lord, a mist, telling him about something we want from him that he's against. Or he said no to. Or he said don't do it. I know women cry out and pray for somebody else's husband. You'll never get him. He's not yours. He already got a wife. I know people that cry out for somebody else's children. You'll never get them. They're not your children. They belong to somebody else. They want somebody else's house. They want... Somebody else's car, somebody else's business, somebody else's church or ministry. If I had that, I, well, you don't have it because God didn't give it to you. He gave it to the one he, he knew who, 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 who would do what he said to do with it. And if they ever become disobedient, he still won't give it to you. He would let it go from them, but someone else will get it. Let's not pray amiss. Let's pray, asking God daily to deliver us. Forgive me, Lord. Oh, forgive me for all my trespasses. Forgive me for all my sins, my wrongdoings, my wrong thoughts, my wrong speakings, my wrong feelings. And help me to come out of this bondage. Because day and night, if you're thinking about what happened to you, some people, it's like they're in a, a bubble by themselves. They don't really want nothing to do with other people because they're afraid that they're going to see the tracks of their tears. They're going to see what happened to them in their childhood. They're going to see about their families. They don't want nobody else to know I come from this type family. And just because my parents wasn't dysfunctional, it does not mean yours won't be. But when you come to God, he can fix all of that for you. 
you'll begin to know why. You'll begin to know that evil is always present. You'll begin to know that the devil come in where he can fit in. And people don't know that this the devil that done come in and help my wrong desires. You'll get to know some things, and we can't hold it against them. Yeah, just because somebody been molested, I can't hold that against them. Just because somebody molested somebody, I can't hold that against them. The first one without sin cast the first stone. What we have to do is pray for people. Go to this God that we can have a sit down with. And not just sit down with him about me and my and I, but we got to sit down with him for the world, for other people. He wished that none should perish. And many times we are able to talk people off the ledge. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're coming very close to our time this morning to end. I'm going to pray the prayer of faith. And uh, after prayer, we'll try and go to our last song of the morning if there's time. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for And God, we need you today. We need you to deliver us all from evil. In the name of Jesus, those that are living in their past, God, deliver today. Those that's been scarred and hurt, God, we ask today that you would touch and heal right now in the name of Jesus. For, Lord, you know what's best for your people. You know what your people need this morning. And, Lord, they don't have to wear a sign. They don't have to say anything. You know what's in each of us. You know what is in our hearts, you know, the very intent of our heart. Deliver today, Father, in the name of Jesus. We thank you. We give you glory, honor, and praise. And as we depart today, Father, bless our going out and our coming in. Meet the need in our lives according to your riches and glory by your son, Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father. We thank you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and hallelujah. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent one from another. In the name of Jesus, go today in love and peace. Share the good news of Jesus and give someone something of quality. God loves a cheerful giver. Have a blessed day. I speak the blessings of Almighty God upon you today, July the 21st, 2022. In Jesus' name, amen.
Nothing but a flood, nothing but a 